Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff-side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the Employment Law Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And we are lucky to again be joined by Jerry Bramwell, the founder of the law offices of Fitzgerald Bramwell. We encourage you to go back and listen to his first episode with a slightly longer bio and a more detailed dive into how his practice works. One quick note on Jerry. In 2009, he was recognized for being an outstanding young lawyer. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So on your last episode, we discussed the intricacies of your practice, the unique way you approach an employment discrimination case, and how you're the only plaintiff's lawyer we know who loves arbitration. We wanted to talk a little bit about your career today. So you're an East Coaster who went to University of Wisconsin for law school. How'd you end up there? So, so I mean, the, the short version is that you know, I grew up on the East Coast. I still believe pizza is something that you pick up and fold. Uh, I, I still root for the Yankees. But, you know, I um, was applying to law schools and I was applying in a, a variety of, of different schools. And, you know, Wisconsin, you know, was was kind enough to admit me in their, their class of 2005. And they offered me a, a very nice package. And I said, you know, Madison is my gosh, it's a beautiful town. I mean, if you can't have a good time in Madison, Wisconsin, there's there really is something wrong with you. And I said this, I just have to do this. And so I wound up in Madison, Wisconsin. What wound up has maybe a bit of a pejorative. I, I, I got to go to Madison, Wisconsin, and was there for three years and uh, and loved it. Did you practice in Wisconsin prior to moving to Chicago? No, I didn't. I was. I still have my my Wisconsin license. I, I don't, you know, use it. Wisconsin, of course, has the bar privilege, as you know, the diploma privilege. So I have that license, but I, I actually I've used it once, uh, sort of in a friends and family thing. Gosh, it was over a decade ago. It was my my actually my first winded court. I got a, a matter dismissed for somebody, but you know, I've I've practiced after law school. I clerked for a federal judge in Kentucky, which is where, believe it or not, my family was was living at the time. And uh, then I come up, came up to Chicago to practice, and I've been here ever since. I was asking was for the audience members who don't know, if you go to law school in Wisconsin, you don't actually have to take the bar exam if you practice in Wisconsin. So it's a huge benefit for those for those law students and then attorneys. Look, I think more states should adopt the, dip- the diploma privilege, right? If you go to an accredited law school and, and both law schools in Wisconsin are very, very good and you take court classes and you 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 get a certain uh, grade in these court classes, you know, I don't know that taking the bar exam makes you a better lawyer. You mean cramming, cramming three to five basic concepts about a subject you're never going to use and then taking a closed book in an essay isn't making you a better attorney? Not, not only that, but but then you've got to pay Barbary how much money? And what, what is it? Like on the MBE, you have two minutes of question to read the fact pattern and uh, come up with an answer. I mean, how, how many clients have you guys had? They, they, they come in and, and uh, they give you a fact pattern and you analyze it and you give them a solution in two minutes. In a multiple choice format, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And on top of that, what do you need? Like, 
I don't know, 70% of those questions write to pass a bar exam. So none of it makes any sense. Well, and don't forget, there's usually five to 10 like test questions that are deliberately designed to just break your brain, just sprinkled throughout. You don't know which ones they are. You don't know whether you'll be scored. I mean, it's, it's, there was one multiple choice question where I remember, depending on how you read it, any one of the four options seemed equally right. And I think that was the moment where I just like put my head down for a minute. I was like, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think I was meant for this. If it's not going to happen. Jerry, what brought you into employment law? You know, so I, let me take a step back. I decided to become a lawyer because I saw way too many episodes of Law and Order during my formative year, right? You know, this is like the, the good old school Law and Order with, you know, Jack McCoy. And, you know, I wanted to be in court and I wanted to argue and I wanted to, to you know, sort of dive into the facts. And, well, you know, look, he lied to the police. It shows he, he ran away, shows consciousness of guilt, you know, make those sorts of arguments. So as I went to law school and and, and then realized I did not want any part of criminal law for a variety of, of, of reasons, you know, I started looking at other things and I said, well, you know, what gives me that opportunity to get into court? What gives me that opportunity to engage in this sort of thing that, that you know, I kind of enjoy doing, you know, employment law offered that. And, and, and you know, the other thing is that employment touches so many different parts of our lives. You know, your people identify themselves by their job. They identify themselves by what they do. Employment is one of those subject areas that through your employment, you are going to keep the roof over your head. You're going to put your kids through college. Um, to the extent that I have any talents, I don't know that I do or don't, but to the extent that I have, any, I like the idea of being able to use some of them to help people who may have been the victim of some injustice. So I, I like that element of it as well. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Just, I want to make one other point because it was, we, we said early in the show, uh, most of the people who ended up in this area fell into it or or did consciously choose it for that reason, but I have yet to hear we got into employment law for the money. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> if you're really looking to make money, I, I, I think you're, you're either going into, you know, litigating securities uh, issues on the plaintiff side, or, or even better, you're, you're not in law at all, right? You're, you're, you're into it. You're, you're, you're going into banking and things like that. Or, and hear me yeah. out, being an Instagram influencer. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm not pretty enough to be an Instagram influencer, though. Neither are we. I, I, I don't actually know what yeah. they do. <laughs> I just see you making some. You probably could do well on TikTok, though, I think. Well, you mentioned this in our last episode, too. You know, we're not licensed therapists, and Max and I talk about this a lot, but a lot of our clients are going through, you know, especially in an employment law situation, maybe the hardest point of their lifetimes. They're highly successful people. They've had, you know, a good, and then they're going through a difficult situation, and that's why they're reaching out to us. So, I do think you're hundred percent right. We're dealing with people who, or employment law deals with situations that touches upon a huge aspect of life, putting a roof over your head, supporting your family, et cetera. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, I don't know what more to say about that. You know, truly. I, I try my hardest to help people, at least through the legal and economic issues. I, I can't help them through the emotional and psychological issues. It's, it's not in my toolbox, but I can help them through the legal issues and the economic issues. And I can encourage them that they will, you know, that, that, that they will move on and that, you know, show them where the path is to continuing to be able to do the sorts of things that they like to do. And yeah, that, that, that's 
that's part of the practice. Tell us a little bit how the other half of your practice, the business side of it, how did you get involved in business torts, partnership disputes, that type of work? <laughs> and that sort of work. So I, I did, you know, some, I, I had some of that background, you know, prior to starting my own practice. And, you know, I, I enjoy getting into courtrooms. I enjoy litigating matters. And, you know, when I started my own practice, I had some of that work and, and I continued doing it. And it's, it's good work and it's interesting work. A lot of the issues that I get to litigate are, are, are fascinating to me. So it, it's a privilege to be able to do that work. Jerry, how did you end up setting up your own firm? What um, led you to make that decision rather than going the big law route, going the mid-sized law route? So I started after my clerkship. I, I was in two of the largest corporate law firms uh, in the area. I started at Sidley and then I was at Skadden. And, you know, those both provided some some wonderful uh, things for me. I, I got to meet some very, very interesting people, some of whom are still there, some of whom are, are doing other things with their careers, but everybody is leading a very interesting life. I got to almost get paid to go to grad school in, in the sense that you learn how business operates, you, you learn a lot uh, about the way the world um, works from a legal perspective in these shops, and, and you get to get some very good at these shops. But ultimately, you know, I, I was growing a little bit frustrated at my inability to get into the courtroom. And that, you know, perhaps was just the nature of being an associate at, at, at these places. But, you know, I wanted the opportunity to, to do some of that. And, you know, I, I also don't do very well in hierarchy. I like to be at the top of the food chain. And, you know, I, I, there came a point, I was in, I think, my seventh or eighth year of practice. And I said, you know, I'm, if I... Now is the time, if I'm ever going to do this, to do it. It was something I wanted to at least give a fair shot to, something I, I wanted to try. And so I said, well, you know, maybe I have a little bit of arrogance. And I said, well, you know, if, if, if you think you're as good as you are, you know, give it a try. Start your own shot. Do it. And so I did. Uh, September uh, 18th, 20, 2012 was my start date. So almost 10 years being out on my own. And it's been a fantastic experience. You know, I won't lie, getting bills done every month is, is a pain in the tuchus getting. But the ability to work directly with clients, the ability to get into court, the, it's, it's been professionally rewarding. Are there, other than doing billing that, that's a pain in your rear, are there other challenges to being a solo that you, you could do without? Uh, I mean, look, when my printer breaks, uh, as it did about a month ago, well, guess what? I, I can't just call the IT guy and say, you know, get, get me another printer. I, I need to, you know, go online and buy another printer. And then when there is no printer within 25 miles, I need to then come up with another solution. Thank you, supply chain issues. But yes, you know, look, when you are running your own shop, you are it. You are your own IT guy. You are your own billing guy. You've got to pitch and, and bring work in. You've got to develop strategies for that. It's, it's not only do you have to do the work, but you need to make sure you have the tools that you to, to do the work and you need to make sure that there's work on, on your desk to do. But after having your own firm for a decade, which is awesome, congratulations, and practicing for nearly two, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? So the two best pieces of advice that I have ever gotten, and I think this applies to, to anybody who's entering the practice, is this. 
the, the first best piece, and this is, I, I got this from a partner at Scadden. You are responsible for your own career. You're in charge of, you need to make sure. And this is, again, whether you're a first year associate at a large law firm, um, whether really that you should be having these conversations with yourself before you enter law school and, and throughout law school as you're trying to figure out what your first job is going to be. But you need to make sure that you are getting the sorts of experiences that you want to get, that you are getting the sort of work that you want to get, and that you're doing the sorts of things you want to do. Well, you know, if, if you want to make big dollars, you're probably not going into law, right? You can have lead a very comfortable life in law this is not the place to maximize your wealth. That's the banking side. Maybe the medicine side if you, you pick a, a certain specialties. So, you know, just, just make sure that you're getting the, the sorts of work and experiences that you, you want to get. The second great piece of advice that I got, and this is from another partner at Skadden, is to work hard and particularly early on, live frugally. If you're working hard, you know, you are learning the practice, particularly if you're working hard in a firm to start off with, you're learning the practice, you're learning what to do, you're learning what not to do, you're developing those skills. And if you're living frugally, you know, at A, or rather, if you're, if you're working hard, then you're not out there spending lots of money. And if you're living frugally, you're paying down debt and you are setting yourself up for a comfortable future. You're somebody who enjoys litigating and being in a courtroom and all of that, but litigation is obviously very time and attention consuming, and it's not easy to multitask that. So as as your own boss, IT guy and litigator, du jour for the firm, how do you manage having an active litigation practice with being the only person? Well, you know, I have very good people that I can rely on to help me do things. So I've got a very good firm that will help me with e-discovery and with printing things and with that piece. I have a network of solos that, excuse me, if I need to, to just some coverage help, I need someone to go in and get a date. I need somebody to argue something routine who can help me with that. And, you know, I try to be as prepared as possible and, and look forward and, and, and manage, you know, briefing schedules so I don't have five major briefs due in a week. I try to keep that to maybe one or two major briefs due in a week. But yeah, there's a lot of just, just organization. So one of the other parts to your litigation work is that you, you describe on your website that you are passionate about the art of litigation, which is maybe the most eloquent way I've ever heard what we do put into words. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Yeah. So litigation is an art. It's not a science. And what I mean by that is in a science, you know, under the right conditions, I can take two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen and I can throw them together and I'll get a molecule of water, right? And everybody knows that. That's not so in litigation. There, there are lots of variables. Of you know, you've got the variable of your own client who has got their own personality and their own desires and their own quirks. And you've got the variable of opposing counsel. We all know that litigating against, I won't throw any firms under the bus, but litigating against, you know, firm X is going to lead to a very different experience than litigating against firm Y or even lawyers within particular firms, right? There are lawyers in certain firms that I get along great with me. They, they call me up and, and we, you know, BS back and forth and, and, and we trust each other and there are lawyers in something, the same firm where, all right, we have a more detached relationship. You've got the variable of other witnesses, right? You, you've got the variable of what forum are you proceeding in? And so you, you can have on paper a very similar fact pattern, but 
you know, you, you could have different results or different paths to getting there. It's, it's an art, not a science. And, and I love that art. I think it's funny. You mentioned that last point. My uncle, when I did criminal law with him, used to call it jailhouse lawyering. When people will tell you, I had this set of facts and this guy got this deal or I got this and I know this friend who had a lawsuit and they got millions and millions of dollars, right? And it's like, well, A, what they're telling you is probably not true, but B, you know, you you weren't the lawyer. You don't know what the set of facts is. Like, it's really hard to know one of the situations. I mean, you've said how many times now what we do is so fact intensive. There are no set of facts that are identical. Right. And you, and you can point that out to somebody, right? You know, yeah, this person got a uh, million dollars, but, you know, you're neglecting to consider that, well, that this person uh, lost an eye, right? That the injury was such that they lost an eye. You, you, you fortunately didn't have that. You know, it, it's much better that your case is not worth as much. Or I remember a case that, that I did where we had some really awesome evidence of liability, right? And my client was able to go out and get another job that was higher paying, that was closer to home at a more prestigious employer. And she got that job within two weeks. All right. Awesome. Right. This is what we want. And it reduces the value of her case because her lost wages damages fall. So, you know, in, you know, her, her case is, is less valuable than the case of somebody who might have been unemployed for six months on otherwise the same set of facts on, li on, on liability. What I've really enjoyed in our two episodes with you is how you talk about strategy and how you think about these things. It's clear and evident that you're very thoughtful about this stuff. How have you developed your strategy skills over time? Like what are things other attorneys can be doing who are listening to the, to develop their own strategy skills? Well, I don't know. Maybe I played too many board games and computer games as a, as a kid. And I, I liked, you know, sort of the more strategy games. I, I like the game of poker, you know, how, how you develop your own strategy skills. Gosh, I don't know. I've never been asked that question before. I, I think though, that as I approach a problem, you know, that the question I always ask in, in intake is, you know, what's the goal? What are you looking to get out of this? And then when we get that answer, we try to backtrack and come up with a, you know, a solution uh, and come up with a series of steps that will help us achieve that goal. Follow up and very important question. What board games and computer games were you playing a lot of? I need to know. So um, Monopoly, when I was a kid, was actually one of my favorite games and I always enjoy putting together various deals. All right, you know, I've got mm -hmm. two blues and you've got the other blue. Let's come together and uh, I'll take these, I'll, I'll take the blues and you'll get three free passes on rent anytime you choose. And I, I would just enjoy putting those complicated things together. Yeah, I know. I, I enjoy playing, I'm embarrassed to say, a Civilization. Are you embarrassed uh, by in, that? In high school. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a great game, but I, I, I feel like I get some judgment, so maybe I've got a little... Uh... Not from us. <laughs> no, no. We're the last game. time I played Monopoly, the game couldn't end because um, I owned no properties, but I was getting rent from everyone. Oh, wait, how, how did you manage that? You a mobster? <laughs> I did a lot of good negotiation. <laughs> did you like nice, nice uh, hotel you've got on, uh, on Boardwalk? Shame if anything happened to it and you break a window and now they're paying you 200 bucks every time somebody goes by. I, I, I did a good job negotiating. I got like a percentage <laughs> of like rent, basically. <laughs> um, well, it, it would be as he'd have his cat walk up to the board and not start knocking things off. That's the max solution. Just launch the board if it's going badly. 
And I know you're, you're involved with the CBA too. The poker event the CBA puts together is awesome. I used to do that every year before COVID and it was super fun. It was a great way to meet other attorneys too. So for the listeners out there, next time the CBA is able to do that, you know, given everything else in the world, highly recommend that event too. It's always a fun evening. Jerry, before we let you go, we wanted to ask about one other area of your practice. You have a mediation practice. Can you talk about that area of your practice? What sorts of cases you mediate? I mean, it's not a very big portion of my practice. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a mediator through the Chicago Bar Association uh, mediation program. And you know, I'm a very, very big believer that it is good for everybody to try to resolve cases, you know, particularly if you've got good counsel on both sides. You know, look, we, we all know sort of what the, the, the facts are, are likely to be. And we can uh, sort of uh, figure out what the, the range of potential resolutions are. And I think it makes a lot of sense to, you know, sit, at least sit down and try to have that conversation about, hey, can we resolve it now? Or if we can't resolve it now, what do we need to, to do to be able to have that conversation? Because it produces all sorts of, of, of social goods. So, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Jerry, before we let you go, we wanted to ask you a couple of quick rapid fire questions. Every now and again, we try to do something different that came up with this as a good idea today. Amit, you want to do it? Sure, let's do it. So Jerry, and some of these you may have already answered a little bit, but what are some of the biggest tips you have for attorneys who own their own firm? Yeah, you know, as much as law is a profession and it's a great profession, I love what I do. It's, it truly is an honor to be able to serve. It's also a business. So make sure that you are, you know, screening your cases appropriately, that you're doing, you know, do right by your clients, but recognize that you, you can't help everybody. You can't take everything. You may hear things or be asked to do things that you just can't do and, and, and don't do them. What are your biggest legal writing tips or your best legal writing tips? Just start off uh, strunk and white. The first piece of advice there is write clearly. Never use a 50-cent word where a 10-cent word will do. Always, always, always use the Oxford comma, and it is always one space after a period. I agree with all of that. The Elements of Style is awesome. It's a great book. There's also a book called The Elements of Fucking Style, which is great, and highly recommend that too. What is your best trial tip? Pick a theme early on in the case and this starts from your first appearance to continue through summary judgment, repeat that theme early and often. And so, you know, the when the uh, jury is deliberating or the arbitrator is deliberating or the judge is deliberating, you know, this is the case of X and this is why, you know, this is why I win. And what's your best negotiation? Negotiation is about figuring out what the other side wants and being able to present that in a way, offer that in a way to get what you want. It's always best to look for a win-win if that's possible. But really negotiation is about, it's about the other person as much as it is about you and your client. Max, you're muted again. <laughs> I think if anybody were ever playing a drinking game to our show, and I suppose that presupposes we have enough listeners for that sort of thing who are loyal enough, a bad question by me that would be objectionable and adept, at least one of us muting ourselves and asking a question. Anything else we can come up with here, Amit? Because I'm just out of sorts. Those are the two big ones. We do that a lot. <laughs> I think I do that a lot, but you're being kind. Jerry, what I was going to ask you before I so rudely muted myself was if you, last time you plugged the judicial evaluation work you help with, anything you want to plug today with the with the express caveat that it'll be a, a, a few weeks or months before this one comes out? 
You know, would continue to plug the CBA. I think that they do great work. I think that they provide a, a wonderful resource to attorneys practicing in this in this community. And and so that, that's my plug for this afternoon. And I want to do a shout out to your firm. You're going to have a 10 year anniversary coming up. I think in September you said. It's incredible. It's really hard to run your own business, do the work, everything you've done. 10 years, it's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you again to Jerry Bramwell for telling us his story once again, for making time for us on a Saturday morning when he could have been doing literally anything else with his life, um, for suffering some technology issues Amit and I had this morning. Um, for sharing his story with us, his knowledge, um, giving us some great writing and law tips, um, and just giving us some really interesting content. It, it, it was fun talking to you. It's always nice to get to hear somebody's story. Thank you to everybody at home for listening. Please subscribe and share uh, and come back again. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.